I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to our God. He is highly exalted. Thank you, Joe. If you can uh, grab your Bibles and turn back to that psalm, Psalm 47. That's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to, to bring in 2017 with this magnificent psalm. So if you are feeling a bit drowsy or tired after last night, whoa, Psalm 47, that'll waken you up. What a wonderful psalm. And, and it's a great psalm to begin the new year with. I've been uh, challenged even just looking at this in terms of thinking about um, where I find my joy and what my priorities are as a Christian. And this psalm has really helped me to to think about that and to think about what the most important thing is uh, that we can have in life. And I want us to view this um, not simply just as text, because that's not what it is. It's not prose. It's a poem. It's a song that was meant to be sung. You can see uh, in your Bibles that the title there that says, To the Choir Master, a Psalm of the Sons of Korah. That's in the original Hebrew text of the Psalms. Uh, The Sons of Korah were basically a group of guys that used to protect the temple. And their job was to protect it uh, and to sing all the time. So they were kind of like singing bodyguards. It would be such a cool job to have. Um, And they wrote songs such as Psalm 47. Uh, And it might be that you are here for maybe the first time in a church service. And one of the things that strikes you as being slightly odd is the fact that we sing in church. We sing. Uh, Christianity has always been very musical from epics like Handel's Messiah to, you know, the gospel music of the Deep South or to the, the a cappella psalm singing of the Highlands here in Scotland. There's something in the gospel, there's something in the message of Christianity that seems to inspire such a diverse range of music and song. And part of the reason for that is because it reflects a, a real joy And a real exuberance that comes from knowing who God is. Now, life is hard. Being a Christian is extremely difficult. And that's what's so wonderful about the book of Psalms. You just have a a range of different songs. And often the psalmists will pour out their tears or their fears or their grief or their anguish to God. And there's plenty of psalms like that here. But there's also psalms like this one. 
Psalms that just enjoy and, and praise God for who he is. And singing does seem to be kind of one of the best outputs for joy, doesn't it? Uh, one of my fondest memories of 2016, I promise this is the last time I'll mention this up the front, but it was on May 21st, 2016, when after 114 years, Hibernian lifted the Scottish Cup. Uh, so sorry if you're a Jambo or um, if you're a Rangers fan, but that was a great moment. I was there in the crowd. I didn't run on the pitch. I was sensible. Um, but I remember that after they had got, everyone was just going crazy. They were so happy and excited about this. And what did we do collectively? All the Hibs fans, we sang because we were happy. And singing does seem to be one of the best outputs for joy. It expressed the joy. And we sing as Christians. We love to praise God, not because we feel that we must or not because God tells us that we have to sing, but because when we reflect, when we really get our minds into who this God is that we worship, Who this God is that that we read of in the Bible, praise just seems the best response. C.S. Lewis said it like this in his reflections on the Psalms. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And when we come to Psalms like this, Psalm 47, just look at it. You can sense the joy and the excitement that is coming from the psalmist here. The psalmist is, is just meditating on the fact that the God that he worships is this great king. There is something so incredible, so awe-inspiring about him that when you really see who he is, you just have to share it with others. The joy has to be expressed. It has to be sung. So my aim then this morning is for us to reflect upon what it is about God's kingly rule that can create such joy, especially amidst the uncertainties of life. There's something disconcerting about coming into a new year, and my thought is always, what is going to happen this year? Is it going to be a good year? Is it going to be a bad year? There's something disconcerting about not knowing what's happening in the future. But here we have something that is absolutely certain, that is guaranteed, and therefore can produce a real and lasting joy. So uh, you'll notice at the end of verse 4 of the psalm, there's a strange little word off to the side. 
It's that word selah. It's in italics in your Bible. Uh, And that's probably a word that means to pause for reflection. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this psalm uh, as it's divided there in two parts. In verse 1 to 4, we'll see that God is the majestic king who cares for the people under his rule. And then in verse 5 to 9, we'll see that God is the global king who will unite all peoples under his rule. That is what inspires songs such as Psalm 47. First of all, God is the majestic king who cares for the people under his rule. So in order to understand why it is that Christianity produces this wealth of music, why God excites such praise and exuberance. We need to understand who he is. That's our starting point. So the psalmist says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. So sing praises. Shout, he says. It's not a very Presbyterian psalm, is it? Shout for joy. Be jubilant and glad. Every nation, everyone across the world, because the God who governs us is great and awesome. What is it about God that that inspires praise? It's just who he is. Which makes sense, because if God is God, then therefore he has to be the source of all beauty, of all joy, of all love, all glory, all that is delightful, all that is awesome, all those things that take our breath away, all of them will find their source in him. Every relationship that we enjoy now is just a shadow. God is the light. Every act of love that we experience is just a stream, but God is the ocean. And everything in the universe is being upheld by him. There is not an atom that moves that he does not govern. He is a great king. So when we talk about God being king, We mustn't think of ourselves magnified. God is not a bigger version of me. That could inspire no songs like this. There's something about his greatness that is just so radically unique. Something about him that is completely unmatched. Something that makes him uh, scarily different. See how the psalmist says here, the most high is to be feared. He is terrifying this God. Terrifying, not in the sense that that he's bad, but terrifying in the sense that he is so overwhelmingly powerful. It's scary. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of something that's just so powerful that you're you're terrified. I remember we went uh, hill walking for a stag do yeah, which was a terrible idea. Um, but we got kind of, we were at the top of this mountain and we were caught in this huge storm. And it was absolutely terrifying, the sheer ferocity of nature. God is so overwhelmingly powerful that he is to be feared. He's good, but he's not tame, as C.S. Lewis says elsewhere. He is this powerful king that the psalmist is reflecting upon but he's also a personal king. And that's seen here in verse 2 of the psalm. It's a bit subtle in our English translations, but notice there in verse 2 that the word Lord is all in capitals. Now, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it's not a title, Lord, but it's a name. 
It's actually an English translation of the divine name of God that he gave to the Jewish people, the name Yahweh. And for the original singers of this psalm, as they sung it together, it was a name for them that was linked to God's personal and intimate care and love for them as his people. The God who cares about every intimate detail of our lives is this great king. And you can see that further emphasized in verse 3 to 4. He subdued peoples under us, the psalmist said, the nations under our feet. In other words, he is the, the king who has protected us in the face of great adversary. He chose our heritage for us. He gave us a land to live in. This small little insignificant nation, the nation of Israel, the psalmist calls them the pride of Jacob, whom God loves. You can see how he wants to clap, how he wants to sing, and how he wants to shout with joy that the great king and ruler of everything is the one who cares for him and loves him. Now, Selah, what are we to make of this? Uh, for some of you here, it's kind of an archaic term, isn't it, to talk about uh, a king. It wouldn't have been when this was originally written. But for some of you here, the idea that there is someone that is greater than us, whom we have to call king, might not sit comfortably and certainly wouldn't inspire songs of, of praise. And a lot of modern people today will reject the notion of God, which can be for many different reasons. But often it's because we don't want to serve him as the one king. We don't want to serve anyone because who's in charge of my life? Well, I am. I'm the boss. I make the decisions of what's going to happen to me this year. But here's the thing, though. All of us will serve a king. All of us. All of us have something hardwired into our DNA in which we are made to worship. Bob Dylan understood it. He sang this, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And what Dylan is saying there is there's never really anyone who will be truly autonomous because we're made to serve. It may not be God, but a good way to determine, okay, what is this thing that I am worshiping, that I am serving, is to ask yourself, what is it that I need in life for it to have any worth or value? What is the thing that I need most in life for it to have worth or value? And whatever that is, that's your God. That's your king that you worship. Could be a family, good things. These could be great things. Could be a family, your job, your money, your status. We will serve it. We will live for it. And good as those things are, they will never satisfy because ultimately that is not the one we are made to worship. We are made to worship the king of creation, the only true king. The entire universe is about him. And see, when you get that, when you you worship God, it's so liberating because you know that's where you're meant to be. It causes songs like like Psalm 47 to to come out of our mouths. This song that, that celebrates God's kingship is not done out of mindless devotion. It's a celebration of of embracing reality, of being exactly where you're meant to be. It's a joy that comes from knowing this king. It's a joy that comes from knowing, wow, he is powerful and awesome. But he's also my father. And I can speak to him at any time. No matter what life throws at you, 
in 2017, no matter what confusion there is, or hurt, or pain, and there will be for many of us this year. This God reigns, and he sits on his throne, and he knows exactly what will happen to each and every one of us, and he cares for us. All these other things in life that we tend to put in his place, they cannot provide that because they cannot provide the assurance, the protection, and the love and care that the king of creation can. Look at what the psalmist is, look at what he's doing here. As he puts pen to paper, he's thinking to himself, okay, what what does it mean for me to call God my king? And it just spills out in this praise. And I sometimes feel that we we often, if if we're honest, we often feel that we can't sing songs like these because our understanding of God is so flat and two-dimensional and and black and white. It's almost sometimes as if, I speak to myself here, we treat God as our assistant rather than the king of creation. Someone who's there just to aid us in life and help us. That cannot inspire a song like Psalm 47. So this is a great New Year's resolution for us as a church, for me as an individual, that we would just know God better, that we would enlarge our understanding of who he is so that we can sing this with all honesty, regardless of circumstance, that God is this great king. But how do we do that? And how can we know that God really does care for us? I mean, look, some of the language there, it might have been relevant back then, but it seems quite archaic today, subduing nations, giving us an inheritance. What does that mean for us today? Well, let me tell you, but in order to get there, we need to look at the second half of this psalm. Why? Because the second half of this psalm, it's quite incredible, it points forward to a promise that we have seen fulfilled. They didn't when they sang this, but we have seen it fulfilled. A promise that really shows us how this great king will care for us. This is the second point. God is the global king who will unite all people under his rule. So up to this point, really in verses 1 to 4, the psalm's quite in-house. It's a lot to do with Israel and what God has done for them. Uh, This what they're singing about. But in in verse 1, actually, we can see that the intention's not to be just for Israel. All you peoples are to clap your hands. And in verse 5 to 9, the intention is given over to the whole world and therefore to us today. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The psalmist is saying everyone across the world now, regardless of race or or ethnicity or nationality, everyone will be united under this king's rule and will sing to him as one people. And what's interesting is that this hadn't happened when the psalmists were singing the song originally. This was, they were singing about something that hadn't happened. What do I mean? Well, for the Jews of the Old Testament, they had been given a promise by God. 
a promise that's so important to understand in the first half of the Bible. It was a promise given to their forefather, Abraham, who's mentioned here in the psalm, in which God said to Abraham that through him would come this nation, the nation of Israel. And this nation would bring all nations together as one nation under God. They would be united as one nation. And here in verse 9, we can see they're singing of this event as if it's already happened. The princes of the peoples, so in other words, the kings from all the nations of the world, are gathered together now as the people of the God of Abraham. It's staggering. They're so sure that this promise was going to be fulfilled. When the foreigners, those who had been, many of them, hostile to Israel, would be brought in as one as God's people. They're looking forward to that great moment, but that didn't happen until hundreds of years after the psalm was composed. See, we do live in a different time now. There is a new name by which we across the world know God the King. Not so much Yahweh, but it's the name Jesus who's been given the name above all names. He is the great king of kings. God in the body come down to us as one of us. That's what we've just been celebrating, isn't it, at Christmas. Bailed in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed the incarnate deity. And the reason Jesus came was so that he could save the world. So that the great king could inherit the nations as one. And there is one event in the life of Jesus in which his glory, his majesty, And his wisdom was declared openly to the world. One event in which he would bring all the nations to worship him. One event in which he would prove that he is simultaneously the one with great power and great love. It was his death. His death on the cross. That was the moment that that the great king of all the nations was crucified for the sins of the world. It was there that he was punished by God so that we today could be free from all the wrong that we have done, free from any punishment or condemnation. I mean, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. This king, Jesus, he is not like any other king that we know of. A king crowned not with gold but with thorns. A a king clothed in purple not out of respect but mockery. A king lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross, so that he could save all people. So that there would be no divide between Jew and Gentile. So that all the nations could come together as one. Jesus says in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up, talking about his crucifixion, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. See, look at verse 3 and 4. The psalmist sings of how God subdued nations under them and gave them an inheritance. But Jesus has done something infinitely more incredible for the world. He has subdued the devil's hold on humanity. He has freed us from sin and brought us into an eternal, heavenly inheritance. And after his death, he rose from the grave. He has, to use the words of this psalm, gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. That was his great coronation moment. And therefore, we have infinitely greater reason to sing songs like Psalm 47. They're looking forward to this event as they sing it. We are standing in the middle of it. Here we are, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away, Gentiles, 
And we can say that we are the children of Abraham through Christ our Savior. He is greatly exalted. Let me close with two concluding remarks from this psalm as we go out into 2017. First thing is to say this. Jesus sits on his throne. Jesus sits on his throne. We all serve someone or something, but there is only one king. He's not dead. He's not distant. He's alive now on the throne as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he is the one our hearts were made to worship. And when you come to him, there is a real joy and a real liberation and a real peace to know that your life is not in your own hands, but in the hands of one whom verse 8 says reigns over the nations, the God who sits on his throne. Whatever happens in your life, Jesus is on his throne. He's got it covered. He's in charge. The shields of the earth belong to him. He provides the ultimate protection. So Jesus, in 2016, he wasn't surprised by Brexit. He wasn't thrown by the U.S. presidential elections. Jesus was not panicking about the refugee crisis. And Jesus was not distant or absent from the pains and the hurts and the things that have troubled you this past year. It wasn't out with his control. He is not powerless over tyrants and dictators that have plagued our world. He is on his thrones, and there may be many ups and there may be many downs in 2017, but that will not change. He will always be on his throne as the king of kings. And although we may never understand, see, that does raise certain problems about why he would allow these things to happen. Although we may never understand Um, we've got to accept, I mean, how how could we ever understand? Remember, he's not a bigger version of us. He's the only one who actually sees the beginning and the end. But although we might not understand, what we can be absolutely sure of is that he will always love us. Why? Because of the cross, again. Because of the cross. See, that was the most horrific moment in human history when God himself, God's son, was crucified And if he can use that to bring about the greatest moment, our eternal salvation, then maybe he can use the hurts and the pains and the ups and the downs of this world that we cannot see for a good that we cannot see. It's the safest hands to be in. And the more you submit your life to his rule, the more it can spill out honestly into songs of praise and joy that he sits on his throne. Second thing really to take into the year And this is really important, and I want this to be, for us as a church, really key. We should rejoice in the global expansion of the church. You know, sometimes when you preach through Psalms, you can often miss the the kind of feeling that goes behind it. Because, like I say, it's not a story, it's a poem. And that feeling of joy just permeates through this psalm. And this psalm really challenges where we look for our joy as Christians. So does the idea of the growth of Jesus' church, does that fill you with joy? Psalmist wants the nations to shout for joy. It's essentially a song that is praising the church of Christ. Because when the church grows, Christ is glorified. Christ is highly exalted. And that is what we must want more than anything else in this world. Does your pulse race when you hear of new churches being planted? 
when you hear about the work of the gospel in other countries, when we listen to our mission partners in in China or Mali, are you excited about the prospect of, of that new building that we have? Not because we've got now somewhere where we can be comfortable, not because we have to limit our van runs, which is great, um, but are you excited because, wow, what an opportunity this will give us to reach as many people with the gospel. What a great hub we can have here by which we can grow the kingdom of Jesus. Do you just want to sing and to worship when someone comes to know Christ? It's not a wonderful thing. And if not, then we really need to address our priorities because this is God's priority as king. And this should be our priority as kingdom people. And, you know, we do live in such an introspective culture where where joy really is about, we think joy is about me and what I can get and what I have. And we can be in danger of, of that sifting in to how we think of Christianity, that it's all about us and our own needs and how comfortable we can be. And when we do that, though, we lose sight of the gospel and and the greatness of God. And not only that, we really stifle any chance we have of real joy. You see, real joy comes from being selfless, to take our our eyes off of us and onto Jesus, uh, off of us and onto the, the great need of the nations. We want the nations to know him. I love that we, we're standing in this promise. I love that we get to see it fulfilled. Um, this church is made up of a diverse group of people. It's great that we can call each other brother and sister. I love that if there was, you know, if I met a lady from a church, uh, uh, say in the outback of Africa, who loved Jesus, I could call her my sister. Because the central thing in both our lives would be a devotion and a worship to King Jesus. And there is no bond more powerful than that. It's the foundation of great joy. Even amidst trial and pain. Even amidst tears. You know, the Apostle Paul loved the church and it was ambition and his joy to grow the church. And I was reading this the other day in 2 Corinthians where he described his ministry. And there's no one more honest than Paul talking about ministry. He says this, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed. This is what he says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. How do you do that? Why? Because Jesus is king and his church is always growing. What reason we have to sing. And as Revelation 5 tells us, that's where we're going to be for all eternity. That moment at the end of time when people from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather around the throne of Jesus and sing a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let's pray together. Father, we have great reason to sing praises. To sing praises to God, to sing praises, to sing praises to our King, to sing praises. For you are King of all the earth. And so we want to sing your praises. Lord, we pray that this coming year, both as individuals and as a church, our eyes will be fixed on King Jesus. 
Father, we pray that we will have a desire to honor him, to know him, to enlarge our understanding, to really grasp what it means to say that he sits on his throne. We pray, Lord, that that would help us to trust him through the many uncertainties that we may face this year. We pray, Father, that that would give us his heart for the lost and for the world. Pray, Lord, that we would have great joy in looking to the growth and the expansion of the church of Jesus. May that be the foundation of all our joy. And Father, may we be ever trusting you through difficulties, through hardships, and through joy. Thank you that this is a song that if we follow Jesus, we can always sing. Thank you that Jesus has dealt with our greatest problem already, our sin. Thank you that he has defeated death. And thank you that one day we will all be gathered as one around his throne in which we will sing for eternity because of the great joy we have in Christ our Savior and our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.